Hi, this is Dr. Jose Saldivar with another episode of the Way to College podcast. And when I started the podcast, I um, my goal was to identify folks who had interesting stories, uh, but who also were doing really interesting things, different lines of work. Uh, I created it with a lot of my students and a lot of the students that I work with in mind, because I think a lot of times young people aren't aware of the variety of jobs that exist out there, but also that everybody's journey is different. And there's never a straight line. I, I think we sell kids this idea that that everyone's journey is a straight line from point A to point B. And, and I think those are the rare uh, occurrences. And so today's guest, today's guest has a fascinating journey. I, I met this gentleman Um I guess formally, maybe a couple of months ago, informally, uh, first came to meet him when I attended the Tache conference, state conference back in 2020. And so uh, I'm going to allow him to introduce himself um, because, uh, because you know, I, I think he wears multiple hats and I, and I know I wouldn't do him justice. So, Florencio, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. Um, thank you, Dr. Saldivar, for this beautiful opportunity I'm excited to share space with you to just have a dialogue and really just dive deeper about, you know, what what is Latinx success? What is how we can do our journey? And I love that you started with um, everybody's journey is their own and there's no linear way of getting there. And so I like to always give my quote unquote disclaimer that this is my journey. These are my experiences. Uh, um, this is my experience. These are my lived experiences and but, you know, hopefully someone can relate or can resonate with someone. But again, it is how I went through it, what I did. Um, so I hope that, you know, someone can take just a little piece of it. So I am Dr. Florencio Urias Aranda III. I tell people it's a beautiful, uh, very long, hot mess of a name. Just kidding. I love it. My parents. Um, when I was little, I I would tell them, I'm like, why didn't you name me something like Juan or Carlos? And they're like, one day, one day you're going to love it. And um, as time went on, you know, people were like, your name's beautiful. I'm like, okay, mom and dad, I see what you did. So um, Florencio Urias Aranda third. I go by Dr. Flo. Um, and I, in my everyday life, I serve as the Assistant Director of Diversity and Inclusion Initiatives at Texas Christian University. Um, I've been here for about a year and a half now, a year, five months. Um, prior to that, I was at South Dakota State University. And before that, uh, for a long period of my life, I was at Texas Tech University. Um, Aside from what I do, I serve as the president, the state president for the Texas Association of Chicanos in Higher Education. It, it is an organization that is near and dear to my heart. I love what it stands for. I love what it does. Um, and it is uh, an org that I will continue to be involved even after my tenure as president. Um, and also most recently, I was named uh, Vice President of Legislative Advocacy for the Texas Association of Diversity Officers in Higher Education, Tadahi. Um, it is an org that is a subset of the National Association of Diversity Officers in Higher Ed, Nadahi. So Tadahi is the state level one. And I'm, I'm enjoying these leadership roles um, at the state level. And then I hold two additional roles as the secretary of the Mexican uh, American Education uh, College Fund or MACE. It's a local Fort Worth uh, nonprofit organization. And then I still give back to my town, my pueblito, as I call it, of Presidio, Texas, as um, I'm a member of the Presidio Education Foundation, uh, an organization that is focused on providing financial resources to the high school graduates of Presidio High School in Presidio, Texas. So um, just that's a little bit about me in terms of the hats that I wear, but I'm excited to engage and just answer anything. I'm an open book, so 
let's get started. Awesome. Awesome. So um, one, I didn't know about all of the different things. I knew you were involved. I've seen a lot of your um, your work on social media. And and so um, and even, you know, during the most recent Dacha conference, right, you shared a lot, you know, getting up in front of and speaking in front of the general audience. And, and I just thought, wow, this there's a story. There are countless stories there I want to hear. Um, so, Florencio, with all of my guests, I always ask them, thinking back, reflecting on your educational journey, if you had to identify a point where you could say, my educational journey started here, where would that be for you? Um, thank you for that question. Honestly, um, I got emotional the way that you framed it because um, not because I'm super emotional, but because I've never had someone frame it like that. I've, I, I've been very fortunate to share my story with people. Um, but the way that you framed it really is the essence of what I've tried to convey through the talks that I've had to people. And so for me, it happened at eight years old. So at eight years old, my youngest sibling, my baby sister, my hermanita, she passed away of meningitis. Um, the night that it happened, my entire family, with exception of my maternal grandfather, they all left and rushed to the hospital with my sister. My grandfather woke me up and told me, hey, your sister was taken to the hospital. And he told me, hey, te prometo que va a regresar, she'll come back. Well, two nights later, that promise was broken because my baby sister passed away. And so while my parents were coping with this family loss and my older sister, who's five years older than me, at that point, she was 13. She had her school friend. She found ways to get out of the house a little bit more than me. Um, I had to cope with her, her loss a very different way. And, you know, my parents were dealing with the loss. It was such a, uh, I, I want to say traumatic experience, right? Because when they left, they left as my parents, what I had known, and they returned back without my youngest sibling and very distraught, very, you know, just in a, in a, a state that wasn't what I was used to, right? And then to not really be focused on during that process really made me start to just channel my energy a different way. And, you know, I was, you know, I say it's a higher being that was looking out for me because you would think that as people, little kids could start to, you know, be mischievous and do bad things and things like that. But on the contrary, after her death, I started to really focus a lot of my attention on school. I started to read, I started to write, I started to color, to journal. Um, and little by little, I got really good at it, right? And, and so as I got good at it, my parents would give me that attention that I was longing for. And and I always tell people that at eight years old, me nació la conciencia. Because at eight years old, while one would say you're not cognitively ready or mature, but it, it, in reality, it's when I grew up because I realized that if a one-year-old little girl could be taken from this world, then I could too as an eight-year-old little boy, right? And so for me, it became this, obsession of how can I keep my sister's legacy alive? How can I not forget this little girl? And then it transformed into what can I do to help others? What can I do to be of service to others? And that coupled together became kind of the foundation of I can do this. I can be of service through education. And so I started getting really good at school. My parents were focusing on me, giving me attention as I was doing good and stuff. You know, I, I remember that as I got good and was academically succeeding, that one day my parents sat me down and 
my dad said, prometenos que serás alguien importante en esta vida. Promise us that you won't forget where you come from and don't settle at being nobody like us. And I share that with you, not to make it a very long-winded answer, but again, promises, the promise of my grandfather saying she would return, promises that you'll make more of yourself, right? For me, it was such a hard moment to hear my parents say promises that you'll become somebody and don't settle at being nobody like us. Because here were the two most influential people in my life telling me that they felt like nobody. Well, to give you a little bit of context, they had married at a very young age at 17 and, and 16. They had my mom had my older sister when she was 17. My dad was 18, 19. Um, they lived paycheck to paycheck. My mom was a high school dropout, uh, achieving only 10th grade education. My dad did finish high school. They lived paycheck to paycheck. My dad was working really hazardous jobs, field crop worker, rancher. My mom was a field crop worker, dishwasher, all of these things, right? And then they have my sister and a year and two months later, she passes away, right? So I think for them, they maybe thought that they hadn't done enough. But when they told me promises that you'll make more of yourself, I knew that I had to do it through education, right? And so the first pivotal moment was that death of my sister that made me channel my energy towards education. And the second moment was that promise that my parents required of me that really set the foundation for me to seek that post-secondary education. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start calling you Flo, by the way. Okay, so Dr. Flo, um, thank you for sharing that. It, it, your, your story is incredibly rich because I, 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 I hear a lot of themes, I hear, and there are things that just jump out at me. And, you know, you, you talk about your older sister who's 13, and she's, you said she could get out of the house. She could kind of go and, and lose herself in her activities. And you, you talked about school and, and, you know, as being this point of sort of where you come to consciousness, right? But also, I mean, it sounds like, and I, I, you didn't say it, but it certainly sounds like school was also an escape for you. It was a place where I, I could go and get lost in my studies and, 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 and learn some things, but also where my attention was diverted, right? I could put my where however I was feeling and dealing with into my school. And so I, I appreciate you talking about that and how you were able to cope with it. But then also how you was you found strength in that. Like I think that's just so powerful. Um your parents, that moment and and when you say that for me it 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 resonates so much for me because I hear my students they talk about wanting to be somebody. I want to be somebody. I want to be somebody. And, and, and my reaction is often how you just responded where you said, these are the most influential people in my life. And I think, and I always ask my students like, but you're somebody, your parents love you. Your parents support you. You, you to this point, you've done every, you've done everything to make them proud, like continue doing, you're going to be fine. Right. And so uh, how we perceive sort of ourselves in, in relationship to our parents and how others might perceive them, how our parents perceive themselves. Your, your story was just so rich. There's so much to pull from. So thank you for sharing that. So your parents ask you to make a promise, promise to them. Right. And, you know, at, at this point, college is a foregone conclusion for you. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to think I'm going to go to college. Is that what you're thinking at this point? Yeah, absolutely. So what really um, made it very clear to me that I was not going to be held back by tradition and customs of my little town um, came at in 10th grade when I was asked to be a part of the um, University of Texas at Arlington Upward Bound Math Science Program. 
And it was a summer program where I got to spend two months at the university or eight weeks or whatever you want to call it at the university, learning math, science, Latin, the, the list goes on. And it was the first time I had ever left my little, my hometown, right? Presidio, mi ranchito, as I call it. And when I came back afterwards, having conversations with my parents later on when I was older, they said to me, when you came back from that, from that um, experience, we knew we could no longer hold you back. You had seen enough of the world and you had seen college, although I was not in college, right? I had seen enough of the dorm rooms. I had seen enough of the campus of experiencing people, of being with diverse beings that I knew there was life outside of Presidio, Texas. And so after I returned, they knew I was going to find a way to go to college. And so my answer is yes, I knew that I wanted that for myself, that I could do uh, college after high school. But what was the point of what was holding me back and that was kind of uh, a little bit of a resistance was how am I going to afford it? How am I going to do well, right? This whole um, fear of Will I have what it takes? Do I have the money to get there? Am I going to struggle, right? And so it became very clear to me that I was going to try my absolute best and that if I failed at trying, then I, you know, at least I had that for me. And so at that point, I, you know, after that, that summer experience, I told my parents, I'm going and don't try to tell me to stay here local. I want to go far and I want to do something, right? So that's when I started to looking at different universities. And I always like to share this story because this ages me a little bit. But I went on askjeeves.com and I downloaded or not downloaded. I typed and I put universities in Texas. So in retrospect, right, I put in the top two main words, right, university in Texas, right? So the University of Texas at Austin came out. Uh, University came out. Texas Tech University came out. And Texas State San Marcos or Texas State University came out. So those were the four that I applied to. Because uh, my um, our institute or my high school was able to get uh, fee waivers because we were a um, low income school, and so I they told us you're limited to four. So I said, okay, University of Texas Austin, Texas A and M, Texas Tech, and uh, Texas State. I applied, and fortunately, I was part of the top ten percent of my class and with the the state legislature having passed the Texas top 10% rule, I knew that I was gonna get into the university. And so I, I that was very reaffirming that I didn't need to worry whether I had the grades to get there, it was gonna be like, okay, how are you gonna sustain once you're there? And, um, after you know going back and forth, I decided Texas Tech University, and so that's where where I end up in Lubbock, Texas. Um, my parents took me there. They had used the money that they had saved up to purchase me a car, um, a little 2003 white Chevy Cavalier, um, and. They gave me the remainder of their savings, which was $200. And I packed what I could in the car and then they drove me there and they gave me their bendición and they said, okay, good luck, right? Neither one had gone to college. Neither one knew what I was, what was expected or what I was gonna do, but they believed in me and they kind of let God do his will. And so, Con esa bendición, they were like, all right, good luck. And they drove back and I stayed in Lubbock, Texas. 
Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Flo, you, um, you talked about, you know, you go to this summer camp where you're upward bound, right? And you said something interesting. You said you wanted to go, but you had, right, the same maybe fears and doubts that I think a lot of students, and especially first-generation students, especially a lot of our minority students, what advice would you give somebody who finds himself right now, you know, they have opportunities, they have the opportunity to go and study somewhere else away from home, but they have those same fears. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I, you know, I would always say just, just take that leap of faith. Um, you know, let it be a calculated, researched leap of faith, but, you know, just t- take that leap of faith, you know, I had a lot of members on my dad's side of the family that didn't think I had what it took to go to college. Um, they were telling me, we'll see you back in six weeks. We'll see you back here and there. Right. But it was that. That negativity that fueled me to just say, hey, if I don't try, I'm always going to wonder what if. But if I try and I failed, at least I'll know that I tried. And so that that was why I decided to go for it. Um, and I, I really one other thing that I like to tell people is get get as much information that you can about the university. See what resources are out there for you. And because those were the things that really solidified my place at the university that really helped me hone in not only who I was as a student, but they gave me the tools to feel that I could do it, um, to feel secure in that I wasn't going to just, you know, be dropped for whatever reason. And so if someone's fearing, you know, don't, don't be afraid. I'd rather you experience it and then say, nah, that wasn't for me versus wondering what if for the rest of your life. I love that advice. Um, And especially like the really learn as much as you can about the university, right? Learn about the resources. Um, I find with a lot of my students, there is, um, uh, and I don't know if it's a fear, I don't know if it's an unwillingness or uh, maybe they're not used to asking for help. And so, um, you know, really encouraging students to look at the resources, learn as much as you can. I think that's that's wonderful advice. So you're coming from Presidio, right? And you're going to Texas Tech. What was that transition like for you, Flo? Oh, man, uh, Dr. Saldivar, it was a major culture shock. My town of Presidio had at that time 3,000 900 people, all 99.99% Latino. To And transitioning to a town of Lubbock that had over 200,000 people, and the university itself was 10 times bigger than my little town with 28, 29, 30,000 people, I was like major, major shock, right? What I tell people is that while I had the the will and the want to succeed, reality hit me real quick when I was there. I was Latino, male, first gen, low socioeconomic status, literally. All right, what I didn't know at the time, but ended up happening, I was a remedial student because I was not apt or prepared for the rigor of the classes. So I had to take remedial courses at a predominantly white institution. So that was very clear right at the beginning. I knew that I was different. I knew that there was a lot of factors that could make me not succeed. Um, But I would always remember the words of my abuelita who passed away four months ago. Y ella me decía, con Dios y con con humildad todo es posible. And then I would remember my grandpa's very macho, um, very 
um, así regional, uh, torpe way of saying things, y él me decía, y no se raje. Rancho, um, I mentioned them because those are my maternal grandparents. My grandfather didn't reach an education past first grade. My grandmother's education did not surpass third grade. At 10 years old, my grandmother lost her mother and she became the caretaker of her younger siblings. When my great-grandfather would be out selling goat cheese, asadero, goat milk, because he was a goat herder, um, she would take her chiva and her two younger siblings and sleep in caves so that they wouldn't get stolen or robbed or killed or, you know, whatever the case may be in Mexico, right? And so I share that because here were these two figures that were so important to me as well as my parents that had no formal education, yet they were believing in me, right? And so while I had all these factors that could have made me fall through the cracks or not succeed, decía yo, if, if they believe in me and if they see it, I have to do it for them, right? I, I was already doing it for my parents, right? I was already doing it for them, these uh, young people who married that were living paycheck to paycheck, but then the first generation before I was doing it now for my grandparents. I'm like, I am their dream. I am their dream that they wanted to get to, right? And so here I was at this university. Y me dije, Florencio, ponte las pilas. Be, be gritty. Be tenacious. Do whatever you have to do, but persist. Persist because they're looking at you. Your grandparents are looking at you. Your parents are looking at you. And your, your family is looking at you because, Dr. Saldivar, I'm the first of both sides of my family to go to college. And so, uh, and to obtain that college education. Um, and so I knew that I was pioneer and paving the way and that I couldn't let any other thing happen. Right? And so I started to do two or three jobs. I entered, um, I, I joined multiple resources, student support services from a mentoring program, a first gen program. You know, the, I, I was applying for scholarships like crazy, working two or three jobs, whatever it took so that I wouldn't give up. Going to tutoring, staying afterwards, talking to the professors, you know, whatever I needed to do, pero me decía yo, Florencio, como te dice tu abuelo, no te rajes, sigue, sigue, sigue. And so while it was tough, you know, I knew that I wanted to do more and be more uh, for, for, the, for my familia, but also for the community of Presidio that at that point um, had very scarce people that were going to college. It wasn't like every, it was a college going uh, town. It was literally, ah, que fulanito de tal, él se llegó al colegio, but the rest would stay here, right? They wouldn't go anywhere. And so I didn't want to stay. I wanted to be the fulanito de tal that was able to do it. And so it was, it was a lot. Support, family, prayers, resources that helped me make it although I was confronted with this culture shock and the reality that I could very quickly fall through the cracks again there's so much there right we um I, I think like you I, I I went away to school and I I I didn't want to come back. I didn't want to be the like you said right your uncles that told you you'll be back in six months or six weeks. And I, I, I think, um, I know I, I stepped out of my comfort zone because generally I'm, I, I think when I was younger and I still am it, it, to some extent, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert and, um, I'm kind of quiet. I kind of like to, let me check out the scene first. But in college, I really stepped out of my comfort zone because I was so afraid of, of, I, I, I didn't want to come home. I didn't want to be a failure. Right. 
Um, again, I, I think your story, at least this aspect, right? And I think certainly mine, and, and I, I know a lot of young people can relate to this, where we feel like we're carrying, right, the hopes and dreams of our families on us. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that bit. Um, Flo, you know, we get to college and, and I see it with my students and with young people, this expectation that they've got to have life figured out. They've got to know what they're majoring in. They've got to know what career they're pursuing. So let me ask you, you're at Texas Tech. Had you given any thought to what it is you wanted to do when you, quote unquote, grew up? Yeah, so for me, it, it was uh, it was my father, my uncle, and my godmother who really helped me help shape what I wanted to do. Um, my uncle, my dad's dad was the, or to this day, since I was in high school, um, to till today, he's the commissioner of our, of our town. My godmother was a um, city council woman and has since then transitioned and served for the past 12 years as the justice of the peace of our town. And then my dad for two terms was a city councilman. So politics, the the act of being of service to the to our comunidad was already there. Um, the the death of my sister and wanting to do more and live a meaningful life for me was already there. I was very involved in the church, so all of that was already there for me. So I knew that I wanted to do something that was based on la comunidad and that it was based on serving. And so I started at Texas Tech looking at political science so that I could go into politics to help the the community. And then Spanish, because I didn't want to forget my roots. I wanted to bring that cultural aspect of who I was into the mix. And it was at Texas Tech that I really started honing in on my Latinidad, right? In my hometown, I was Latino and that was a given, right? But that was all I knew. And it wasn't until I was in rooms full of people that didn't look like me, that didn't sound like me, that had very differing opinions and lived experiences at me that I started to say, hey, wait, 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 I'm Latino. I can tell you about being bilingual, being bicultural, growing up on the border, celebrating a quinceañera. And then two days later, being at a sweet 16, I'm like, all of that is what makes me cool, right? Like what makes me unique. I know languages. You want me to speak to you in English and Spanish? Y, y sabía también hablar en la F, right? And so all of these, like the Spanish, Pig Latin, right? And I'm like, all of this is cool. So let me not allow anyone to tell me that I can't be here. And so I knew that I had a path that I wanted to follow, and it was um, it was my third year in college, my junior year or third year, as they call it now, that I entered um, my third year and my advisor said, hey, Florentia, are you ready to fill out your intent to graduate? And I'm like, wait, I'm starting year three. He's like, well, he's like, actually you've taken enough that you can graduate at the end of this year. And I'm like, wait, you're telling me I can graduate from college in three years? He's like, yeah, you can. And so then he started telling me, okay, what you have to do is take seven uh, poli-sci classes, four one semester, three the next, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, or you could take three poli-sci classes and four Spanish classes if you flip your degree and make Spanish your major and poli-sci your minor. And I'm like, that one, let's do that one, right? <laughs> so, I, so I ended up getting a degree in Spanish with a minor in political science when initially it was political science with a minor in Spanish. What was also important about year three is that 
knowing that I was going to graduate early, it became this, now what? Now what? With this degree, now what am I going to do? And so I still had this idea of serving the population, the people, being of service to the people. So I said, I think I want to go to law school. So it became, let's study for the LSAT. Let's get your letter of or statement of intent ready. Let's start filling your applications. What schools are you going to go to? I did all that with this advisor. I had a great GPA. I had a decent LSAT score. And I was denied by every single school that I applied to. And the only thing that I can think of, Jose, is that I maybe was not, in their eyes, mature for the course load because I had graduated high school at 17. I was graduating in three years college, so I was 20 when I was applying to law school. Um, In my mind, I thought, hey, I did it in three years. I have a decent GPA. I'm, you know, three, five GPA. I'm like, what, why did you deny me kind of deal? But that's where my life slightly shifted. It continued to be of service and to serve la comunidad, but then it became this idea of, can I still serve my community? Not through law school because I was denied, but by languages and finding a way to incorporate languages and things like that. So that's when I started my master's in Spanish and political science. And then they told me, we're going to pay for your schooling. The only requirement is that you teach first and second year Spanish. And I'm like, let's do it, right? Well, it was that experience of teaching Spanish to college students while I was a master's student that that solidified my love for the college setting. I'm like, I can stay in college forever, although I'm not <laughs> in college, right? Um, I, you're telling me that after I graduate, I can still be on the campus interacting with students as a professor. And so that's where I started to really um, hone in on focusing and being a part of the higher education setting when I graduated from there, I had a colleague tell me, hey, Dr. Flo, I, or not Dr. Flo, hey, Flo, I see you being a doctor, like a PhD. And I'm like, nah, I'm like, and this man was pursuing his doctorate at the time. And he goes, Dr. Flo, if I can do it, you can do it too. And I was like, you know what, Michael, let, let's try it, right? He, and he's like, do me a favor, just apply to one school. Let it be this one. All your stuff is already here. So just apply and see what happens, right? And so all of my transcripts from undergrad and my master's were at Texas Tech University. So I only applied to one graduate program and that was Texas Tech. And I got in and I kept going and, and I'm sharing all this I know you initially had only asked about the, the undergrad, but I'm sharing <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but I'm sharing this with you because you know, I did my undergrad, I did my master's, and I started this doctorate. And it was during the doctoral program that really made me hone in on who I was and what I wanted to do. And is the the beginning of, of me today, right? So In my doctoral program, I was the only Latino male in this program. I'm at a D1 institution in Texas, and I was the only Latino male, right? There were other Latinas. There were some uh, African-American. There were Asian. You know, there uh, there was diversity, but I was the only Latino male. Being that I was the only Latino male, one would think, ah, este se va a creer mucho. He's the, the, the lucky one, right? But on the contrary, it made me start to really reflect on what have I done? What did I do different to get me here? And where are 
are all my other hermanos, right? Like, where are they and why am I here, right? And that's what drove my research. And as I was going through my doctoral program, I told my committee, I said, I want to look at the higher education pathways of Latino U.S. congressmen. And they were like, why? And I said, well, I've always loved politics. My, my undergrad is in politics. I want to look at Latinos. So it's keeping it within the culture. I'm giving you the higher ed component, right? Looking at the higher ed pathway of Latino. And I said, and um, I don't want to look at presidents. I don't want to look at provosts. I want to look at people that are serving the masses and see how they're how they did their schooling and then see if they're using that schooling to create legislation that impacts the greater Latino community. And so they were like, all right, good luck, Florencio, right? And so during that time, as I was researching that, I decided I'm in my doctoral program, but I'm going to apply for a congressional fellowship in D.C. So I during my doctoral program, I went off to D.C. and I worked with a congressman and I started to learn more. And but really, it was me laying the foundation for when I finished my coursework so I could come back and be like, hey, remember me? Can you do an interview for me? Like, because um, I knew that I wanted to study Latino political figures. And um, and so that experience of being the only Latino male, studying Latino males, um, knowing the factors, knowing that I could have well become a negative statistic, but that I was here on the verge of becoming an elite statistic, right? About to enter this world, two, three percent of the world with the doctoral program, 0.4 percent of Latino men with a doctorate, I was like, I want to work in student affairs and I want to do whatever it takes for no other Latino male to go through all of the struggle that I went through. I want to be that resource, that guide, that mentor, that support so that more Latino males can do it. And so while I didn't, while I knew initially my undergrad year, what I wanted to do, right, I, I wanted to serve, it was this back and forth weaving till I finally got to a place where I'm like, I want to serve Latinos. I, I intertwined politics. I intertwined the law. I intertwined language. I did it all that way. And my degree was, I felt like my degree was me because it was a little bit of me in everything that I had done. And so, well, yeah, so it was a unique journey for me. No, I, I, uh, I love that because I think, Right. You had you had somewhat of an idea. You knew you wanted to serve. Right. You were taking into account, you know, what your family was doing back home in your hometown. Right. Your interest in politics, but also recognizing your language as an asset. Right. And I, and I think I think for a lot of Latinos, right, we have kind of <laughs> for some of us, we have this love hate relationship. Right. We with with our language, because I think depending on where you grew up in Texas, um, your language may not be seen as an asset. So for yeah. you to be able to recognize that and to say, I can do, I can leverage this as an asset. I, I think that's beautiful. Um, and I, I think a good lesson for any of our listeners out there who are struggling with their own language issues. Right. Um, but also your journey through higher ed, I think um, you, you, Talk briefly about this person who says, Flo, I think you can, I see you as a doctor, right? I think you can be a doctor. And, you know, I'm reminded and not that 
at any point in your story, do you give this sense that you've done it alone, right? You, you have the blessings and the support of your parents, and it sounds like you have the community behind you, right, in some respects, and, you know, your ability to navigate the institution. I imagine there were people that helped you along the way, but this person, to, to put that seed in your head and say, mm-hmm. you can do it. You can be, I see you as a doctor, right? Because I, I don't, like you said, right, point, what is it, 0.4% of Latino males hold a doctorate. So it's not like a lot of us are in grade school, middle school, high school thinking, I'm going to be a doctor, you know, I'm going to be a professor, I'm going to be a doctor of philosophy or doctor of education. You know, I, I don't think it's in a lot of our radars, right? Those, those seeds are often planted when we're in higher ed, when we're going through that journey and, and somebody, somebody notices it in us, or maybe we, because we, I don't know, we, we develop this hunger for knowledge and for wanting to learn more and to continue to grow. And so to hear that story, the way you tell that story, I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, Flo, you know, I want to be mindful of time. And, and, and so I know there's, there's still so much more we can share and you can share. And so I, here, I want to ask you, um, do, would you be, um, you know, would you be comfortable or would you be interested in coming back for a second part? Absolutely. I thought you would never ask. I'm done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, because I, I really want to get to you because I think we've explored, right, the, the educational journey. But I, I'm interested in also your professional journey, right? In, right? in not only the work you're doing here, but the path that's led you, right? Because you, 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 you shared, right, as, as you're pursuing your doctorate, you know you want to work in student affairs. You know you... You want to create a path that is, um, I think, much more manageable, right, for other male, Latino males, right, and other Latinos, right? Um, and I, I totally, you know, I, I often share with my students, for me, the greatest reward is seeing my students be successful mm-hmm. and recognizing, and I always tell them, I wouldn't be here if not for a lot of people who helped me. And I'm not going to sure, I'm not going to tell you that I did it on my own because I didn't, I had a lot of help. And so, you know, you're, you're sharing that story, that kind of guiding you towards higher ed, right. And staying in higher ed. So I'd, I'd like us to come back and explore sort of that professional aspect, but before we go, before we go flow, I always ask my guests to give, leave us with some advice, a little piece of advice. I'm going to do something a little different for you. Okay. What I want to know is that what advice would you give parents, right? Getting ready to send in, and whether it's the local community college, the university, or sending them away, what would, what advice would you give parents? Wow. That's, that's a good question. Um, you know, uh, the, the very straightforward, um, sharpshooter that I am, I would say it's not your journey, it's theirs, right? Um, But I would tell parents, you know, see this as an investment in not only their lives, but your life, right? See yourself, see what they can accomplish, see what the student can accomplish, and realize that it is also part of your success because you molded that child that way. get that buy-in from the parents to say, hey, your son and daughter, yes, will dedicate three, four, five, six years of their life to this schooling, but think of how many opportunities they're going to be afforded with that education. Um, I, you know, I have family members that I have conversations with and I say, I know you're scared. I know you don't want to see her go, or I know you don't want to see her go far. Uh, in terms of distance, not in terms of success, right? But you don't want to see them go. I said, but let them fly, right? Because you have laid the foundation that they've needed so that they can be successful. Now let them put that foundation that you help lay, let them put it to practice and, and be there to catch them if they do fall or be there to support them or reinforce their who they are as people um, so that they can continue to move forward. 
And I always tell people, you know, when they say, pero por qué mi hija, right? And I always look at the kid, at the, the child or the student, and I say, mijo, mija, think of this. If not you, then who? Right? And so turning that focus on the child and saying, think of this, not, not about mom and dad, but if not you, then who's going to do it? If not you to lead, if not you to set the example, then who's going to do it, right? Do you need mom and dad? Absolutely, right? But at the end of the day, it's your journey. And I try to tell parents that in the nicest way possible, deje que su hijo explore, deje que su hija vaya. Y si no le va bien, a los tres meses aquí la va a tener, right? You'll have them back if that's, you know, what y'all choose, but at least allow them that one opportunity to go. And oftentimes, Dr. Saldivar, you see that when, and this is, I'm just being general here, right? But when you see a Latina in college, she's on a mission because she knows that that might be her one and only shot, right? And so they're they're pushing, they're they're finding ways to straddle both worlds, be good daughter, but also good student, like you know, making it happen. And so I always try to get the buy-in from the parents, try to tell them that it's an investment for them and just to to be proud and to see the fruits of their own labor, which is the child, let them fly and succeed. Beautiful words, wonderful piece of advice. Dr. Flo, thank you for your time this afternoon. We'll of pick course. up, we'll, we'll, do a, we'll do another part for, for our listeners out there. Um, but for now, this concludes another episode of the Way to College podcast. Thank you to uh, my guest and thank you to our listeners out there. Please make sure you subscribe, follow, and don't forget to rate the podcast. And we'll see you again soon. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.